This is the Concrete Conservative, WSQF 94.5. I'm yours truly, Mac on the Rock. You can go to my uh, YouTube channel, Mac on the Rock Rampage, where you see a lot of videos of my take on things. I despise liberalism. I despise statism. And I try to give you another angle here on 94.5 FM. Today we have Keith Smith. You're from an organization. Uh, you lobby. You're an advocate. Please explain how you're going to tell us why you all should be more involved in the coronavirus because it make me very happy because right now I find it so disgustingly political. Yeah, and I, I would... Um I would encourage people to think that not only should physicians be more involved in the in the current crisis, but they should have been more involved all along. And some of that is the fault of physicians, but a large part of it is the fault of government at all levels, particularly the federal government that has thrown obstacles uh, in the way of physician innovators uh, and entrepreneurs. And, and all of this is just a, a manifestation of, of selling and auctioning off favors to the big corporate players in healthcare in Washington, D.C. During a, a, a re-election season where half the country hates our president, the other half the country cannot really appreciate what he's done for this country and how complicated draining the swamp was. And do you put any blame on Trump for allowing the CDC to lead him by the nose on this? Is that where you're heading or no? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that, you know, everything is relative. And I think this administration, relatively speaking, when it comes to the healthcare industry, has been deregulatory, which is astonishing. Uh, there has never been an administration, including Reagan, uh, that has been deregulatory uh, in the healthcare medical services industry. Uh, and I would say, in fact, every president, it's it's been uh, just a an orgy of new regulations. And now, do you feel that there was like a, queen, uh, a clean sweep on the president's part and he was just blindly confident that that would lower down prices? Or do you believe it was a product of his frustration of not being able to get the Republicans on board to eradicate Obamacare? I'm, I'm not sure it could be a function of all of those. Um, his decision to force insurance companies to reveal and hospitals to reveal their contracted rates with insurance companies to allow uh, individuals to use um, health savings accounts to buy memberships and subscriptions to direct primary care. Those are all very significant, uh, and I don't think anyone anyone should deny the significance of those. Um, well, why isn't it being promoted as something that we should all be heading towards? I know that, um, you know, um, his doctor on the cabinet, uh, I mean, uh, convince him of that. But why aren't we talking about health savings accounts? I mean, it's just it just seems like that's the way to go. In fact, I would take it to a, something I've suggested in my book. Uh, I would take it to a place where uh, for the lower income folks, since the government knows they're going to spend a certain amount of government taxpayer money on emergency health care for the indigent and for those without insurance, since that number is already been determined over generations of, of wasted spending, why wouldn't the lower income people who qualify get matching grants from the government to buy these health savings accounts and for every dollar they save for their children and their families, including, uh, you know, this would be commence, uh, I imagine, once they turn 23 or so instead of 18, but why wouldn't the government match 
the low-income person so that they could develop double the health savings account, and then therefore they would monitor their children's obesity, uh, properly take them to the doctor on time because they've only got this set amount of money to spend in the entire child's life. So you want to keep your child healthy and don't want to have to use up your monies. Uh, way you know, especially when you're older and you need the bigger the 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 bigger expenditures. Like for me personally, I'm 55. I just suffered uh, two strokes, and if I didn't have the health care I had, I'd be in big trouble. I was 17 days in the hospital, and they didn't do much to me, and but they really ripped me off. I mean, they ripped off my insurer and I pretty drastically. I'm looking at about $80,000 for 70 days so far, and those are just the bills I've received. I imagine there's there's more, so that isn't a heart a nightmare enough. And I was paying $1,700 a month for that insurance, and yet I'm still got to fight over why I'm being charged $19,000 in deductibles. You know, it's very sad. But here I am. What would you say to that? Uh, I mean, I know I know Ben Carson is big proponent on health savings. Do you believe that there's more to there's more to this story that's not being told? Well, the reason we're what you described has not happened, and the reason we're still having this conversation is that when when Congress auctions off favors to corporate players, they're they're expected to deliver on that. So, the reason that that we're in the situation that we're in is consumers uh, actually having sticker shock and caring about what their medical care costs is not is not wanted by the folks who want to charge a million dollars for something that should cost far less. So as long as you have buyers or patients who are insulated from the true cost of the care they receive, then they don't care as much. And so the, the folks that they're rendering that care make a whole lot more money. The yeah, and I know, uh, would you... The rest, the rest of the story that needed to be told is now being told. Now the, the decision to, to really shine the light on facilities, hospitals that do not reveal the prices that they charge, that, that entire narrative has been changed. And so a facility like mine, I run a surgery center, I'm an anesthesiologist, and all of the prices for the procedures we perform are posted online. And so patients from Canada and all over the country come to our facility because they know what it's going to cost. Now, are you close? Are you in a logistically close proximity? Are you on a border uh, border state with Canada, or they actually fly in? No, we're we're in Oklahoma City. Oh wow, you're in the dead center of the of the country, so they're actually commuting to you. Yes, there are people that are flying here from Canada to have surgery, and you know they they're coming from Canada because it's. You know, they have coverage up there. They just don't have access to the care many of them require. Yeah, they have a lot of very long waiting lists. I had a argument with someone from Canada just recently uh, on, you know, on Facebook. And I'm, you know, I probably can't have that conversation anymore because they're going to start censoring the stuff we said to each other. But, uh, yeah, there's long waiting lists to see a specialist. You could easily get, have something you know, that you feel is uh, like heart or stomach cancer or something, by the time you see someone, it turns out it was your heart and you're worse off because you waited three months to see a heart doctor and you went initially to see a stomach doctor who told you, no, no, it's not your stomach, it's your heart. And now you're waiting another three months for another specialist. I mean, I've heard horror stories in Canada about what single-payer health care did to that country. Yeah, I've said for a long time the 
single payer that many Canadians have realized they can rely on after all is themselves because the system has has really let them down. Yeah, so the story is, you know, patients should have skin in the game. They should be able to purchase at a reasonable price uh, the care that they require, and they ought to know that price up front. And when you put those two things together, you have what's called in market. You have a functioning market. Yeah, good old price list. <laughs> yeah, The only industry that doesn't have one. <laughs> yeah, every other industry has to endure the same, the market discipline of, you know, here is what I do, here is what I charge for it, and and then the market can judge them for whether or not what they render is a value or not. Well, there was, there's one, one issue I take, take on with you that I'm not necessarily in agreement and it's mine is um, what I'm about to say is quite controversial because no one I've ever interviewed or had conversations with on this show has ever agreed with me. And I don't think any of you guys are right, but you're all professional and you're all doctors and you're all insurance people and everybody's more qualified than me. But I don't really feel the the real need or the logical uh, sense for the skin in the game. I don't really believe that a deductible in healthcare is a legitimate legal practice. I believe that people can't fake pain. People don't make up stuff just to go get care. And that might apply to property insurance where you can fake a, a roof leak or actually drill a hole in your roof to get a new roof because you want it larger or better or whatever. Uh, but in healthcare, I think the big scam starts when we legitimize through the actuaries who are actually employed by insurance companies and the other actuaries are employed by uh, hospital chains and hospital companies, they immediately assume that we should have skin, skin in the game. Why do you really feel that there is a need to have deductibles, period? I mean, insurance companies, if they can't compete, I'm already paying you a premium. Why do you stiff me with a deductible like I need to have skin in the game to, and it's not, it hasn't discouraged fraud, so we know that's not the issue, yet they claim it is. What is the real bona fide reason why someone should have to pay a deductible if they're already paying you a premium? exist in the first place is that overutilization has been a real issue. Yeah, but isn't overutilization also a healthy, I mean, what overutilization for a person who's not sick often, yeah, that sounds kind of stupid, but am I, am I, do I have the right to do that when I'm obese and I got diabetes in my gene pool and I've got hypertension in my gene pool? I shouldn't be accused of overusing something. I mean, no one should. It's a healthy reason just like going to the dentist and getting your teeth cleaned all the time. Some people do it all the time to avoid root canals and cavities and stuff. Why doesn't that apply to healthcare? Why overutilization is a bad thing? It should be a good thing. We should all be going to the doctor much more often than we do. Yeah, and I'm not saying the patients are overutilizers. I'm saying the very presence of a third party that is paying inclines those who are selling the services, whether it's the physicians or the hospitals, to recommend services or tests that are not required. There are also services and tests and and what have you that are offered because of the real fear of liability in this country that is worse than anywhere else on the planet. So oh, so that's okay. That's a legitimate angle. Overutilization. I'm talking about a situation where the patient is completely insulated from any sort of 
any sort of stewardship or fiduciary responsibility for their own for their own well-being, and and then you have a real setup for uh, people who are selling those services who can take advantage of it. There are companies that spend a lot of money hiring companies to review whether what a physician or a hospital recommends is actually indicated. And I mean a lot of money. Well, indicated or necessary? Multi-billion dollar industry to determine what is medically indicated or necessary. Okay, so that's a a legitimate point. The real scam begins when prices are not known. If prices are known, if prices are out there for everyone to see, you have a functioning market and prices plummet. And by the way, at the same time, quality goes up. And then you have a functioning market. And then, if you don't think a deductible is a good idea, the market will settle that. The market will offer uh, various indemnity policies that have various you know, various levels of deductible. And then the market will decide, because if somebody's offering really high deductibles and there's no market for that, then that company will go out of business or they'll change their ways. Well, look at me. I, I have to pay. I'm reluctant to go to a doctor unless I'm really feeling terrible because I got a $5,000 deductible. And guess what? In my case, my lack of judgment, I was suffering headaches. I was assuming... At, at a complete rationalization with this $5,000 deductible hanging over my head, I'm thinking it's Cuban uh, espresso coffee that I was over drinking, you know, because I do drink a lot of it. Breakfast, lunch, uh, in between breakfast and lunch, sometimes in the afternoon, one more time if I'm planning to stay up late. I mean, I was starting to develop headaches. Now, it wasn't uncommon to me the headaches I was getting because in my 20s, when I wouldn't have that extra coffee, I would get a headache. Understand what goes on? I mean, I'm a cultural... Cuban-American, I call myself an American Cuban here on the concrete conservative, but uh, my parents are Cuban-American, naturalized. I was born here. So guess what? I'm now 55. I'm having these headaches, and I'm still thinking coffee. Guess what? It was hypertension, and I had a clot, and it finally blew up in my cerebellum, and and I got hit three times at 3 in the morning. So, uh, you know, off to the races, I was under stress because my mom was uh, passing away slowly through Alzheimer's, and I was her caregiver. And, you know, it could have killed me. I'm here by the grace of God, really. My cerebellum's got a 50-cent piece of blood spot, you know. And and, uh, they still don't know where the clock came from. Of course, they're assuming it's the heart. But if it wasn't for the $5,000 deductible, I wouldn't have been rationalizing this whole coffee thing. I would have just gone to, you know, gone to get a checkup, you know, and I didn't. Did I lose you? No, I'm here. Okay, no, I'm uh, sometimes I uh, I go down a rabbit hole and I I expect the guests to save me. Um, I, yeah, I had nothing more to say, but I mean, I really don't think it's right that I pay seventeen hundred dollars a month and yet I have a five thousand dollar deductible, and it got dramatically worse when Obamacare was passed because I had this insurance way before Obamacare, and that's it went up to seventeen hundred bucks after Obamacare was introduced, meaning I'm. I gotta be funding somebody's Obamacare. I gotta be funding. Well, and, and Obamacare is the reason uh, that 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 policy is worse. I lost my insurance completely. I they mean, just they, they don't even offer the insurance that I wanted, and I I had had it for a long time. It suited me. 
I actually had an extremely high deductible. I wanted I wanted an even higher deductible because I prefer to pay cash for everything because it's nobody's business what I'm what healthcare services or, or pharmaceuticals that I'm buying. So I pay cash for everything with the idea that when something drastic and awful happens, I have an insurance safety net that prevents me from being bankrupted. The only the only way to get that sort of co- coverage, and I use that term lightly now, is to belong to a cost-sharing ministry. And that is growing, fortunately. There are more and more people that are uh, joining cost-sharing ministries, which are the modern-day um, equivalent of mutual aid societies. I, w- I would encourage any of your listeners to read about uh, mutual aid societies and how the poor got along uh, prior to the invention of the welfare state. But there, it was through uh, their, oftentimes through their YMCA and their churches, correct? Many times, or there were organizations like the Elks uh, Club, there were the... BPOE. The Odd Fellows. Kiwanis. <laughs> yeah, all these different organizations that helped the poor. And they were called mutual aid societies, so really interesting. The cost-sharing ministries are a modern-day... Um, equivalent of that, and I belong to one, and I so I don't I pay cash for everything, and whether it's surgery, or because I know where you can find reasonably priced surgeries, believe it or not. And if people want to look, they can look at the website of the Free Market Medical Association, and there's a, a tab there called Shop Health, and there are a lot of prices there for all kinds of procedures and surgeries that are. They're more reasonable than you would think, uh, and then if you if you have really large expenses, then a cost sharing ministry step in, and basically the way those work is members pay other members' bills, and there aren't you know these guys in three to five thousand dollar suits you know hanging out making a lot of money skimming off uh, the kind of premiums that you pay every month. So everybody uh, uh, everybody pays a monthly. Is it based on your income, or it's based on what you want from the from the exchange or from the you know the, the cost sharing organization? How how does that work in terms of uh, determining what you're paying as opposed to what your fellow associates paying? It's not based on your income at all. You fill out a health questionnaire and you send it in, and they send it back to you and say, "Here is what we would suggest that you pay as a baseline every month," and then. Um, occasionally, other members have needs, and it's supposed to send twenty-seven dollars and eighty-five cents to, you know, Mr. Johnson in South Carolina. And then, whenever you, know, you have some need, the same thing happens for you. There are several organizations like this. They were interestingly exempted uh, from um, from the Obamacare draconian requirements. So, you know, Samaritan Ministries, Christian Healthcare Ministries. Um, MediShare, Liberty Share, Sedera Health, Solidarity Health. There are several out there, and all your listeners, you should check those out because you would you would find yourself paying far less. Now, uh, how, what's the issue with the pre-existing conditions? Since I already have a documented uh, three strokes, I believe it has a two-year uh, limit. So you join, and for two years, I believe. Your pre-existing condition is not covered, and after that, it is. Oh wow! So I just gotta stay. I gotta stay free and safe for two years. Now, 
is there kind of a protection plan when someone like gets divorced and they all of a sudden they can't pay for the 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 fellow's bill in North Carolina? What happens when you don't pay that twenty seven dollars that that the other fellow needs? All of the different cost sharing ministries are different with the extent to which they'll waive um, and and recognize hardship. So every one of them, there's several to choose from. Right. They don't kick you out per se. They you just pay double the next time, or what? They all uh, they are all different, um, and I I can't answer that for all of them. Right. So, but it's pretty like uh, they take a human approach to a delinquent person, someone who's not paying. And again, they are all different. Uh, some of them do. I think some of them are less likely to. Wow. That's very human, and that's why I can. Uh, that's why it explains why it's usually religious and civic organizations that do it. So there's real compassion in the system. Yeah, and I belong to one, and I encourage people to check that out. Yeah, what's one in particular so that our audience can write it down? I belong to Christian Healthcare Ministries, and I also buy um, an additional policy safety net underneath that from a company called Philadelphia America that gives even larger larger coverage limits. So, that's, that's a real common that's a real common way to do this. So that would be for your uh, if you had a car accident or you had uh, diagnosed with cancer that for those issues. Yeah, you know, car accidents are typically covered with very generous limits by uh, auto insurance policies. But this would pick up anything beyond that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. And um, is there any uh, is there any legislation that you see that can finally offer the alternative to Obamacare so we can finally get rid of it? Because I believe that half the people that are reluctant to vote for Donald Trump again are really upset that he never got rid of uh, Obamacare. He just got rid of the mandate. What what would you say to that issue? Yeah, I mean, I I'm. I would love to see Obamacare go away, but why stop there? I mean, why not roll back all of these draconian uh, regulatory laws that have stifled innovation and entrepreneurship in this industry? I'm all for any legislation as long as its focus is repeal of prior legislation. I'm uh, I'm not able to to bring to mind any sort of any sort of solution that Washington, D.C. has that I'm interested in now or in the future. Now, what leverage would you impose on these politicians? Because there got to be people in both parties blocking it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's important that the American people acknowledge that Washington, D.C. will never have a solution. The only solution they can have that makes sense is to just get out of the way. Um, the idea that some top-down plan or solution is going to suit every American in this country, I think, is it's just not realistic. The market needs to work. Um, the, the only way that will happen is for Washington and the state governments many times to get out of the way and let the market provide um, what the consumers want according to their preferences. Not to mention their lifestyles, because some people drink and smoke, others don't. People like me are always obese. Other people are fit and trim by gene pool. I mean, I know folks that, man, no matter what they eat, they're going to stay the same weight. It's just amazing the the metabolism. I have friends of mine, man, that I'll take on the same steak, same baked potato, 
Same Haagen-Dazs for dessert, and man, I'll put on 20 pounds in one night, and they'll just put on nothing. <laughs> and you're just like, whoa, how can a government plan to, you know, a shoe fit all on so many people? It's just, you're absolutely right. It's just, but I don't, I'm more political than that, so I wonder, what is it you can do, us, to impose this on them? Because they don't do it out, of, they don't do anything out of moral value. You have to, like, either threaten to get them out of office because you got some kind of leverage over them and a lot of them. So we're talking the House and the Senate, and it's very hard when one party hasn't had a filibuster-proof Senate since 1911. It's kind of hard to fix a country unless you get 60 senators because that's how they passed Obamacare, me speaking as a Republican. I don't really see, as much as I know that you're onto something because you've got to be a lot more informed than I will ever be, you actually see it in practice and all. Plus, you you said you're an anesthesiologist, but you're actually manage, managing your, your 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 facility, correct? Yes, and and the answer I think is a grassroots effort. And I'm actually optimistic because I'm watching it happen. More and more physicians and surgery centers and hospitals are just seceding from all of the sickness in the industry and just deciding we are going to deal with patients directly. Okay, so that's the answer. Meaning you but you guys were very quiet when Obamacare came around. You guys didn't say a damn thing. I was a tea partier back then. I remember when we stormed the bastion in 2009 and went to DC and and marched up and down the Capitol. Nobody was paying attention to us and the insurance companies weren't saying anything. The doctors weren't saying anything. That's when I knew Obamacare was you know Obama was lying through his teeth can as, it's as if the insurance companies wrote the law for him. He was a lying cheat, and it was really well, sad to watch. Yeah, I mean, of course, the insurance companies and the big hospitals uh, wrote wrote this law. The way it, most people don't know the the way that the Obama administration secured the endorsement of the American Hospital Association for Obamacare was to incorporate into the law a ban on the construction or expansion of hospitals owned by physicians. Oh my that's, God, that's that's that, uh, that's, f- that's interesting because when everybody during COVID was worried that there weren't enough beds, there were a lot of physicians out there scratching their heads saying, wow, not enough beds? Well, we wanted to build a hospital and Obamacare shut that down. So it's just an example of how Washington gets in the way and auctions off all these favors. And it's both sides of the aisle. I don't want to – I mean, Obamacare has – it's a disaster. But this has been going on for a long time from both sides of the aisle, and they they sell favors, and the American people are victimized by that. It's very sad because they write some big old checks to those political action committees, and that can sustain it someone's – you know, campaign a candidate can raise maybe a couple hundred grand for a congressional race, but the 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 Republican Party through a pack and give it a different name every time. They can write that candidate who they really want in an important area can write them a check for two hundred fifty thousand dollars and match them or a million dollars like they did here in our congressional twenty seven. We have a lady named Donna Shalala. I don't know if you know remember Donna Shalala from the Clinton days. She was uh, an out-of-towner who was uh, basically the president of the University of Miami. And we had a fantastic candidate that, that was a beloved lady who wasn't really very smart. You know, Ivy Leaguer, uh, 
television journalist. She was very known out here. She was a spokesperson for the little man's uh, clinica, La Clinica, you know, the Spanish La Clinica. It was called Pastor. So she was on TV a lot. And uh, she should have won that race. But, man, the Hillary Clintons and Pelosi's came with their PAC money and dropped a million dollars on this congressional race. And uh, she's, she lost to Shalala. Shalala right now is our congressman here locally. And this lady's back. Her name is Maria Elvira Salazar. We just interviewed her uh, last Monday on this particular hour, this particular show. And she fears that it's going to happen again. And she's never going to be able to raise that kind of money unless the Republican Party does what? the Democrats did last time. So I fully understand what you're saying, and that's never going to change, and it really sucks that it's happening on both sides of the aisle. And I I love the idea where, and I wasn't quite aware of it when I wrote my version of it, I was not quite aware that Obamacare had um, axed out the doctors' owned hospitals because they know best, and they could put them between you and I where there isn't, you know, they know where the long ambulance routes are. They know where parts of town that need a hospital, you know, the actual logistics part of it. We, you know, we have a hospital that's run by an archdiocese here called Mercy Hospital, but the entire behind, uh, we think of the 30, uh, uh, the, the radius of the hospital itself, this hospital only has an uh, 180 degree radius because behind it is a bay where there's no people and they're always burdened. The, ner- the, the nuns never can compete with the other hospitals out here because, my God, they don't have... You know, half a million people in their proximity because it's cut in half to less than 200,000 people. So I think more hospitals would do the trick as well. Do you believe that more hospitals uh, down every corner of, you know, uh, where everybody's maybe not as large, but don't you think that that would benefit the American people too if we just had more hospitals doing more things, not, not necessarily huge ones, but just on every corner? Just more of them. I don't know. I mean, once again, the market is the answer to that. I mean, consumer preferences are typically responded to in every industry by the market. And if the market were allowed to work, then the correct number of hospitals would exist. But the market is so stifled that, I mean, we just never know, you know, how many hospitals out there, you know, should there be. Now, are you allowed to practice in several hospitals in Oklahoma? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so I, you- I only... I only I just run my surgery center. That's that's the only place I work. But we have 112 surgeons. We have 112 surgeons at our facility, and they work at multiple facilities. And uh, they're on call at yours because you're uh, after they do surgery, they're they're free to go do surgery somewhere else, right? Yeah, they can go. They can work wherever they want to work. And is that is that common in all states, or is that something that's unique about Oklahoma? Oh, I think it's common in all states. Yeah, I don't, I don't get, I don't get that feeling. If employs a surgeon, then that hospital, if they employ the surgeon, they may say, this is the only place you could work. Yeah, it seems to me, uh, my feeling was when I was in this Mercy Hospital I just told you about, it seemed like everybody was, uh, uh, it seemed like everybody was exclusive to Mercy, and they're all, all their billing, all their bills came from uh, subcontracted vendor type operations. I noticed the building was never Mercy Hospital billing. I mean, the EKG person uh, billed me, the neurosurgeon billed me, the cardiologist billed me, the MRI person billed me. Everybody was billing me. And uh, 
I, I never got a hospital. Uh, the only thing I got that from Mercy Hospital was the uh, rehab center, which actually was Mercy Hospitals. Da, 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 da. They had a name to it, so it wasn't the actual Mercy. It was you just had Mercy in the letterhead, but it was actually like a subsidiary of. What's that all about? Is that is that common now when hospital chains buy into these uh, Catholic type hospitals? Because in the case of the nuns, I don't see them anywhere anymore. Um, I believe it's uh, Governor Scott's uh, organization who bought the hospital. How is it they sub out everything with inside the hospital? Is that is that very common? Yeah, I mean, there whatever the corporate players get involved, they manage to structure in a way that they make the most money. So there's every imaginable uh, situation, the one you described and many others, and they change hands and they send things off off-site, um, if that makes more sense for them. But there there are two models in this industry. One model, unfortunately, the prevailing one is how do I maximize revenue? And that's consistent with what you just described. The other, the other method that, and model that's growing, and the one I argue I represent is, is how do I maximize delivery of value? And that's really good news for, um, the American people, and as long as we see continued deregulation from um, the status who are determined to to thwart the the free market and the lower prices and higher quality that go along with it, if we see this deregulation continue, then it's going to be really transforming for the entire country. How long do you think that would take? Because nobody's even talking. Obviously, you're giving the president credit because he he out, he out he outdid Reagan. I think Reagan had fifty three thousand regulations on average per year, and the average before his presidency was almost into into the eighty thousands regulations per year per congressional session. So he brought it down to fifty three. Now I don't know uh, if Trump got below fifty three. I, I have to assume he did because not, you and I are just talking about health care. But if you're saying it was a drastic deregulation, do you think he needs more? Uh, there's places where he couldn't get to? Or what is it that you're implying when you said constant re- deregulation? I mean, is it that bad that he has to, what, do it every year, forever? I don't know of a president under whose tyranny medical regulations did not increase until the current one. And currently, the actual regulations in medical services appear to be going down, and that that is transformative. And I don't know if it'll continue. Um, if there were just two or three regulations that were relaxed in this administration, that would be more than all other presidents combined, including Reagan. So wow, that's impressive. If, if I, I... that continues. If that continues, that's good news. Regulations should be viewed as what they are, choice restrictions. And people need to have maximal number of choices. Otherwise, prices go through the roof and the usual suspects benefit. So do you you believe that that's the problem that Fox News and Trump are having uh, from a, a donorship base and a sponsorship base? that uh, the insurance companies are just not contributing to Donald Trump's campaign? Yeah, I don't I don't have a clue. He's, I, as far as I know, he's the only president we've ever had that didn't need to steal from everybody else. So he, I don't know that he needs anybody's money. 
Yeah, I'm not so sure this time around because the first time around, I was a Ted Cruiser, by the way, in the primary, so I got to, you know, kind of comparison um, what I was being solicited for. I noticed I'm being solicited much more this time around in emails and Instagram and Facebook to my personal account, inbox, and the other than I ever had the first time around. So I have a feeling that he's not he's not just filling up the the plane anymore. I believe he's asking us all for money to support him, uh, either to be able to gain his support or just to get our emails. But he is asking everybody for 50, 100 bucks, 25 bucks, whatever you want to give him, where he wasn't asking for that in, back in 2016. So I have a feeling that uh, other corporate interests might be interested in his presidency, but it doesn't seem like it. It seems like uh, the medical industry, I don't want to be conspiratorial because I sound conspiratorial, but man, this coronavirus coming out of China seems like it was planned a long time ago. Do you, do you hear in your business that there's different versions of the same virus that we're talking about? You know, that it's mutated to the point where people are getting it for the second time? Yeah, you'll, you'll have to talk to an infectious disease specialist. That's out of my, that's out of my wheelhouse. I, I thought you'd give me some water cooler talk. <laughs> Stuff you just no. hear among you guys. Yeah, no. I don't I think the reaction to all of this is is it does not make a lot of sense to me. Um, shutting down elective surgeries didn't make sense. That just that left people in a in a really bad spot that needed surgery. So there are a lot of things about this that don't make sense. Yeah. Uh, it smells like uh, rotten fish. I, I'm an Anesthesiologist. I'm not a. I'm not a virologist. Uh, I think that. I think anybody who works for government who claims to be a public health expert, all of their statements should be very closely scrutinized, and we should not believe them uh, just on their face, uh, because many of them have a history of not being truthful uh, and being alarmist and benefiting from doing that. Yeah, that's how they stay employed, especially when they do it for decades after decades. They really aren't ambitious in their field. They're just interested in sitting in a lab and reading reports and having people uh, under their care, per se, under their payroll, where they don't have to come up with the money to pay them. Well, I, I thank you very much for your call. I, I appreciate it. I hope you call back again, and uh, I think you've been very informative to, to the audience. Well, good. Thanks for having me. Um, have a good day. Yeah, have a good day, and uh, you can uh, you can uh, we'll have this recording of this conversation on our website sometime tomorrow. And uh, you go to the main page wsqfradio.com, which is our live stream. So if you want to hear future programs, wsqfradio.com is the live stream nationwide or worldwide. And on that home page, under Concrete Conservative, so you hit the schedule first, and then you'll see Concrete Conservative. You hit that that icon, and then you'll see the next. Monday show, which is, in your case, it would be the next show. So you can have it, and it, it already it's downloaded and compressed for you so that you can share it. That sounds good. Thank you very much for your time. Uh-huh. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. That's what I wanted to talk about. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more about coronavirus because that's a hot item today, and I'm kind of annoyed. I, I, I smell statism, but I'm not the normal person who smells statism. I'm an abnormal person that combines statism with communism. And I don't like that American mainstream meeting has already uh, been obsessed with the word socialism because it sounds like less materialistic. 
and yet telling me how to go down an aisle in Publix is materialistic. I mean, it's, it is mili- militant, not materialistic, but ma- how, do, how can I pronounce that? Material? No, it's not material. Well, militarized. They're actually telling you that you can go down the aisle. The people going north to south have to go to the left, and the people coming south to north are on the east of an aisle inside of Publix. They're telling us even how we have to shop for social distancing. Come on, man. This is still hasn't killed. Coronavirus still has not killed more people than the, the annual flu. We're what, at 129,000 people nationwide? Death? And that's less than the flu this year. And it will be in the end of the day. It's a flu, for Christ's sake. It's a flu, and it's killing the people that it was intended to kill. This didn't happen by chance. I don't care what they say. That I heard there was a report recently uh, that they found this coronavirus in dumpsters in Madrid, Spain, and earlier than the September 2019. Well, I always felt it was like summer, you know, summer months in Wuhan, where this thing was, you know, the Chinese already knew about this. But their behavior spoke for themselves. Us here in South Florida, if you're listening to live stream, you don't know this about South Florida, but if you're here locally, you do know. Especially South Americans have to learn that us Cubans have been around here for a while, and I use us Cubans interchangeably because I was born in the United States, so I'm an American Cuban. I want that to be perfectly clear. But I'm still Cuban whether I like it or not because of the way I was raised. My parents into this country in 1960 and 61, respectively, mom and dad, already married in Cuba. It just took a while between, they couldn't come together. But anyway, we saw how Fidel Castro would kill our dissidents and kill our local leaders here through dengue and cholera. They, you would just die. And there were people who would escape Cuba who served him in the security apparatus. It's called the G2 forces, La Hedo. La Hedo, these people would also pass away. Stomach ailments, pancreatic problems, you know, blood clots, strokes, you name it. And it was all because of food poisoning. Bizarre, you know. You know how the Russians all of a sudden, you have dissidents in Russians where their hair falls out. I mean, come on, this stuff is, this stuff is designed in the labs, man. They'll give you radiation in a second and activate it by something electronic in a, in a room where you sit down all the time or a chair or something. Yeah, it sounds like it comes out of a comic book, but if you don't think these these Chinese people saw the Democratic Party go after the president of the United States in such a malicious, felonious, fraudulent manner and decided right here, right now, to take Trump out and let this virus go, you are smoking crack. You're just oblivious. You just don't want to believe it because it sounds conspiratorial. Oh, it's so radical and extremist. You just make up stuff in your head. Why? Because you just don't want to believe that governments could care less about you and I. Communist governments could care less. If you think about it, if Mao Zedong killed 20 million people to get to power in 1948, I say this all the time. Why would Jinping, Premier Jinping of present day China, why would he care if he killed a million worldwide to stay in power? Because he's never going to tell you how many people died in Wuhan, how many people died in China proper. Notice how he did, that he was quiet about lockdowns all this time, and now that there's an outbreak in the United States, oh, there's also an outbreak in China. He quells, he's got so much motivation, he quells the people in Hong Kong, 
those protests have settled down, haven't they? He got what he wanted there. He basically declared a broader reach, court reaches, where he can prosecute you for criminal offenses in Hong Kong and have you sitting in jail in Chinese proper against the British mandate when they demanded uh, this from China before giving them an annex, allowing them to annex Hong Kong into China. I was in China at the time uh, preparing to to watch this happen. I was 15 years old and I did a summer in China. Sorry, not in China, in Hong Kong. And the the gentleman who uh, invited me there, I was stayed with his son and we stayed in the house and he taught me how to write and read and he was quite quite an instructional man. He was an editor for the Miami Herald. His name was William Montalbano. And I learned a lot from that man. And uh, I remember he was a supporter of presidential candidate Anderson when Reagan beat Carter. And I remember benefiting from the, the currency exchange. I was a rich kid all of a sudden when the Hong Kong dollar was five to one to the U.S. dollar. And then it jumped to 15 to one overnight. And I had not exchanged all my money yet because I had just landed in Hong Kong you can imagine, I was a rich kid for those two months I was there. And I knew that back then, being a conservative back then, anti-communist back then, and Mr. Montalbano was not so anti-communist, having raised children in South Florida with me, along with me. Um, I would argue at the dinner all the time that this is not going to go well, that the British handing over what turned out to be 10 years later, handing over Hong Kong, was a real treasonous act when you think about the separating the world between free market capitalism and communism. And look, look what we have today. That argument's still going on. One economic system works, the other economic system enslaves, and yet at one time, 60, 65, 70% of the nation was, and still is, under socialistic, communistic rule. Huge swaths of Africa are still under dictatorships. Uh, the poor Europeans, they think they're under some kind of free market capitalist system. They're not. They have very low GDP because they have a single-payer health care. They have unarmed citizens throughout the country, throughout the, all the countries of the EU. Nobody's got a freaking gun. Yet the Muslims have guns. Remember uh, Charlie Abdo when those Muslims attacked that newspaper? Who in the hell was around with a gun? No one. They went around shooting everybody. By the time the cops get them, hell, I think it was later on in the week. Who knows how many people had died? They're not going to tell you how many people actually died. Everybody's disarmed in Europe. And guess what? We imposed it on them during the Marshall Plan. We actually, the Nazis took the guns away from the Europeans. And we insisted that they stay disarmed as a condition of the Marshall Plan. So what does that say about us? We didn't want competition, I guess. I guess the United States wanted to be the only nation armed. That's the only reason why we're still free and and democratic, and republic democratic, because we're armed to the teeth. And look at the oddity. Now that I say we're armed to the teeth, isn't it odd that a really liberal state, like Washington State, with the chop zone going on in uh, a nice little area of Seattle, isn't it incredible that that state, as liberal as they are, because I find them to be Bolsheviks, all of them, I mean, they got Lenin standing there, in a statue that they haven't taken down. Notice how the Lenin statue is still up. You don't hear news of these jerk-offs pulling down a Lenin statue in Seattle, right? Well, they got open carry statewide. Explain that to me. That's completely politically bipolar. 
These people are so liberal, it's, it's really disgusting. They're overtaxed. They've got the most beautiful landscape, beautiful state, yet they always tax themselves. People flee the state. It's impossible to do business in these states. And the big companies are hanging in there, but they should be out soon. But at the same time, they have open carry that New York does not have, that Chicago does not have, where there's real serious violence. What does that say, liberals? You can have a liberal state. I'll give you that. If you're the majority, you're the majority. You can out there and cannibalize yourself with your stupidity and your politics, but you lower your crime rate and crime waves when you have open carry. That's what we saw, open carry in the state of Washington, in Seattle, Washington. And yet, in D.C., nobody can defend anything. Nobody. You think half the looting that, that went on in these states, all that run by Democrats, mayors and governors, you think they would have half the rioting if everybody was armed? We had McDuffie riots here in the 80s, and when they rioted, they rioted like they do now. They burned their own towns down, but it doesn't spread to other parts of town because in, the, in, in our case, the difference between Liberty City and Overtown and Flagler Street and Cubantown, Havana Town, Little Havana, was uh, less than five miles. They never crossed the bridge. They never crossed the Flagler Bridge. They never came into Flagler or A Street because you know what? Cubans carry, period. Think about that. It's time to have a national concealed carry permits license. And Trump's second term should really seriously consider what he said many times. National concealed carry, meaning I can take my concealed carry and it applies in this state. You get licensed in your state, like you always do, like I did here in Florida. And... For an additional charge, perhaps additional uh, examination in terms of your record and stuff like that, you get the national, the additional permit so you can travel with the weapon. Now, you freed up the entire turnpike system. All the, the serial murderers, rapists, pedophiles that travel are America's highways that hang out in truck stations. Um, the people who violate and rape and do terrible things within the trucking community. Um, we'll go after the lot lizards. Anybody who's in the trucking community knows what lot lizards means. Well, concealed carry, a trucker with a gun eh, who's going to go through state lines doesn't have to be illegal from one state to the next. You guys remember, uh, surely what a disaster that is, uh, there's parts of Texas where it's county by county. Some counties are open carry, other counties are not. So imagine if you got a concealed weapons permit. You've always had it. You practice. You, you're you confident with it. You take on the safety precautions. You have a gun. You go see your mom in the next county, wedding anniversary, the next county over, perhaps it's the, your childhood home, and you know you can't take your gun to that county, so you have to leave your gun in the in the glove compartment in your car. You go to their favorite restaurant. In this case, it was a diner. This this doctor, who I can't remember her name, it just came to mind right now, so I'm telling the story. She's having dinner. Sorry, it was lunch with her parents, and here comes a, a pickup truck, deranged guy, smashes into the windows of the restaurant, unloads on everybody with his gun, She said that that guy was less than three feet away from him. She could have taken him out in a second if she had the gun in her purse. But because it was in the glove compartment, 
She watched this man take everybody down. And he saved his parents who were on an anniversary and shot their parents in the head. And when the mother kneeled by her dying husband, he looked up to the assailant. She looked up to the assailant and said, please, spare him. He goes, you've just met God. Bang, bang, bang. And he killed them both. She testified to that. And imagine, she goes, oh, my God, I could have saved all these lives had I not obeyed the law and I had kept my gun in my purse. This is what's going on. This is very unhuman stuff. And then what happens? The people who oppose concealed carries. This is very different from coronavirus, isn't it? That's, this is a total rabbit hole. But it has to do with the, the riots. And I find that the riots of Black Lives Matter, everything happening after coronavirus, where everybody ignores the social distancing during the riots. I mean, it's just, they can keep you from going to church, but they can't, they can't keep you from throwing a rock through a window. It's all a big, giant political mess, which is how I started the show. And concealed carry cities don't put up with this crap. People defend their stores with their guns. They'll wait inside, wait for you to come in and take you out because it's their business and they have every right to do so. When you don't have concealed carries, you stay home and watch it on TV and watch your entire future go. And you got to hope that these people have insurance. And on top of that, it's their own neighborhood folks who, I mean, how many poor black entrepreneurs who don't want to be perpetually poor, don't want to be generational poor, own the businesses that were burned up. You hear those stories and you're like, what's up? You know, whole police departments vacating a precinct, watch it being burned to the ground. That's all communism for an American Cuban kid from Miami. That's what I see. I see big political organizations paying off unemployed, stupid people, to believe in something that's not really true, just isn't, and just forment them into doing things for 200 bucks a day. And if you get to steal some Nikes in the process, hey, it makes it 400 bucks a day because brand new Nikes are 200 and something plus the 200 they gave you. All during an election year, don't you find that disgusting? And, they, and the people they pick to do this stuff are, are riffraff too? And you can never really find out where the money came from. You know, it's, uh, I don't know. But you go to the Black Lives website, you can see that the money's not going to Black Lives. It's going to the Democratic Party and all their labor organization. And some of the money goes international socialist movements. There's one that's called uh, Seven Currents, I think it is. Uh, that's an organization that some of this money is going to. You see the paperwork when you when you do the research. In my case, I relied totally on Glenn Beck's show. He broke it down. He went and spent some money with a law firm to, to do some money, uh, forensic accounting per se. And, he, and there's so many organizations that received this money and people getting salaries. Something like $400 million has been raised for Black Lives Matter, and you think that went to Black Lives or anything anything even particular to Black Lives? Of course not. But I bet you the, the leaders of Black Lives got a salary. 
think about this. Am I? Do I sound conspiratorial, or did I sound like a concrete conservative showing no cracks? If you're still independent and you're still a Democrat and you're still going to vote for these people knowing what they're doing to your country, knowing that you've got an education and you know better, and you know that you your people have wronged you and wronged me, and you keep on voting for these people, I'm sorry, man. You're going to be in a food line. You know what I mean? And when you're in that food line, guess who's going to be serving? Yours truly, Mac on the Rock. This is the end of the Concrete Conservative Show. Stay free, my friends. I'll be back with statues and stories in four minutes with Adam Levinson. Ziggy played guitar Jamming good with Wed and Gilly And the spiders from Mars Played it late.